Welcome to an inspiring message from Awaken City Church. For more information about us, visit awakencity.com.au. Hey, um, today I, I just wanted to share a message, share a thought, something that's been burning in me uh, about how to take ground together. Take ground together. We've been in a focus at the moment about thrive, about living life in genuine community. And I want to say the reason why this has been such a focus for us as a church and so important for us to, uh, to permeate through everything that we're doing is because these thoughts that we've been bringing do not come natural in the culture that we're in. Isolation, separation, loss of connection, the lie that a mobile device makes me feel connected with people around me. We're in the midst of this and it's so, so vital that things like this still exist where we have on our schedule a regular point of contact where we don't just come together as people, we actually come together as people who desire to know God more. And that becomes like a shot in the arm as we head out into our weeks and hopefully get to carry what God has given us. Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. You've got to put yourself in a position to receive, to give. And I have to be honest with you, I come into moments like this where I'm desperate to receive. And every time I come in with that desperation, that intention, that desire, that acknowledgement that I need God in my life, He meets me where I'm at. And the funny thing is, is when I neglect to do that, I don't feel so close to Him. The Scripture says He draws near to those who draw near to Him. And so I encourage us as a church to thrive as a community means that we are willing to get together. We get together for our Sunday services. We get together in our prayer meetings. We get together in connect groups. We get together and do life in the most authentic way possible. Because the truth is we live in a broken world. And if we just subside in the brokenness of the world, we get broken further along the way. But when we take moments to breathe and receive what God has for us, Jesus binds up the broken heart and puts us on path together. So I want to talk about taking ground together. And just as I was beginning these thoughts, um, I want to talk about what it means to be a people who stand in step with one another. I want to talk about what it means to be a people who win with our words. I want to talk about what it means to be a people who are all in and the difference that that makes. I'm mindful that life is a battle, but the victory belongs to Jesus. The victory is Jesus, which I'm grateful for because there's no way I could bring the victory about on myself. But there is a need for me to show up, to engage, to take ground with. And it's desperate that I find people to take ground with me and others that I can take ground alongside. And I was thinking about battles and how my son has grown up seeing battles on TV. See, his favourite question to ask me at the moment, my 10-year-old son, Liam, just randomly, we'll be in the car, I'll pick him up from school, we'll be walking somewhere, we'll be hugging on the front row. He comes up and says, good day. And he just whispers in my ear, Dad, who are your top three superheroes? (laughs) It's like his most common question that constantly comes up. The most important question for Liam to know right now is, Dad, who are your top three superheroes? 
And I play games with him. I'll pick the most obscure guys sometimes. Sometimes I'll pick people he really likes, but I'll give my reasons why I love them in a really strange way. Like last time I said, well, my top three are, has to be Wolverine because here's this guy who can heal from anything and it must be cool to have swords that come out of your fists. Love it. Think of it, his superpower is he can cut people. Beautiful. <laughs> Liam says, oh, fair point, that's good. I say, oh, my second favourite son is Ant-Man. Because his superpower is he shrinks really, really, really small. And for some reason that makes him indestructible. I don't know how it works, but he's amazing. Oh, great, Dad. Who else? I say Hawkeye, it has to be Hawkeye. Why? Because there's a really good aim with a bow and arrow. And that's it. See, Liam, when he gets home, uh, he doesn't have free access to the television until the little ones go to bed. And then he's got about a 45 minute window in the entire day where we said the television is yours. That's our agreement. And I think I've watched Avengers Endgame about 50 times. Because he gets to pick whatever he wants. And as you get onto the big battle in that scene and you see all the superheroes doing their superhero stuff, Spider-Man's swinging, Black Panther's running, Captain Marvel's flying through ships and blowing things up. What jumps out to me is the individuality of each hero. And you celebrate each one individually, but they're not really working together. I mean, it's amazing, it's great, it's fun. But I wonder if we live life like that, where it's about the individual trying to be the hero all by themselves, that because I can't have swords coming out of my fist, because I can't shrink really, really small, because I'm a terrible aim with a bow and arrow and anything else, I think I would always lose. And I wonder if the best way to live life is to get into the fight, not against people, but alongside people and stand together and in step with one another. Not isolated, not alone, not running ahead, not trying to swing aimlessly, but working with and moving together. There's a portion of Scripture that really brings this home to me. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 10 to 18. And the context here is this book is written, or it's a letter that's actually written to a church in a city called Ephesus. And Ephesus pops up in the book of Acts and a man named Paul, who is an apostle, an apostle means a sent one. Somebody has been sent by another local church to go start new churches. And Paul is in this city, Ephesus, and he starts telling people the most amazing thing. He starts telling them about Jesus and the reality of who God is and who God has called them to be. And people start responding, people start choosing, people start following Jesus, people start changing because they encounter God. But in the midst of this, in this city, Ephesus, a riot breaks out because the local people whose trade depends on them worshipping other things, worshipping the stones, worshipping the walls, worshipping the sun, whatever, their trade depends on it. They get so upset that they start a riot to try kick Paul out and destroy the work of God. So that church knew what it meant to be in a battle. Could you imagine being in a culture where we didn't just have people that possibly would picket the, the grounds and say nasty things, but they would actually pick up weapons and try to rush in. I'm so grateful we don't live in that, but that was the reality of the city of Ephesus. 
that it was dangerous to be a follower of Jesus. And you'd think that somebody like Paul might just say, well, we need to cool it down and calm down. This is too dangerous. I, 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 I think I need to put a pause on things. But he doesn't. He pioneers this church and builds it up and empowers it so that it makes a greater difference in its community. And he writes a letter to them. And he writes a letter reminding them that they're called to the battle. But they're called to the battle together. And he says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and His vast strength. I've got to say that. That's for somebody today. Be strengthened by the Lord and His vast strength. He has a limitless strength reserve for you. That when you're running late, getting the kids ready for school, when the lunches aren't ready, when you're buzzing around work and things aren't going the way that you expect, there is a limitless heavenly reserve available for you to tap into. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord in His vast strength. Put on the full armour of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. There is an enemy. There is a legit force in the world called the devil. The devil simply means the accuser of the followers of God, the adversary, the one that will stir things up. And those that are called of God to advance have to stand against anything that would cause people to pull back in life. Put on the full armour of God so you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armour of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. One of the keys to taking ground together is to stand in step with one another. Paul is writing to a people, a people that knew what it meant to live life in a battle, but knew what it meant to stand together and not be overcome. And he uses an example for them that they would have understood. So they didn't have Marvel comics, they didn't have Endgame on, they didn't have a little 10-year-old running around, who are your top three superheroes? But what they had, they, they could see, was that the most dominant military power of that time was the Roman army. And the Roman centurion was somebody who was decked out with armour, where they had a breastplate on, where they had a belt, where they had a short sword, where they had a helmet, where they had sandals on. And the idea was they had this huge, massive shield. And a Roman centurion all decked out in armour, Looked formidable, but the truth is on their own, they were pretty easy to dispatch. So the truth is the shield was massive. It covered their entire body just about. It was unwieldy. They're given on a battlefront by themselves. It'd be hard for them to manoeuvre and get out of their own way. That their sword that they carried at the time was nothing more than a long dagger. That it wasn't really useful for the one-on-one individual Braveheart style battles. But what it was perfect for is that you would lock in with those standing next to you and you would put your shield to cover them partially. And somebody standing next to you would put their shield and cover you partially. And the line would be formed all the way down. And then there would be people who were standing behind you and they would lift up their shield above your head and partially above theirs. And somebody would do the same behind them. And that basically you built together a moving structure. 
And so the Roman centurions, when it came to a war scenario, would basically line up in a field and create a moving structure. It was basically a giant shield with little daggers that stuck out in the gaps and went point. And they would simply stand. And the opposition filled with individual warriors, battle axes, maces, huge swords, would see this little army lined up and they would run in head first and slam against this wall and the wall would stand. Because where somebody was pushed back, there was another to lean in. When somebody was pushed down, there was another to push up. And that they would simply win wars by choosing to take a stand. They would not get pushed back. And as the enemy gave themselves and all their energy to just hit against this moving structure of a giant shield, bit by bit, the army would take a step together. Bit by bit. It wasn't a rush, but it was a movement standing step together and they would take ground. The Apostle Paul writing to a church in Ephesus writes to us today, Awaken City, and says, would we be people that would stand together in step and take ground? Because the battle's real, but the victory is Christ. And the only way to win here and now is when we choose to marry our faith together and stand with one another with authenticity, with love, with honour, with a sense that I believe in you even if you don't believe in yourself. Or I'll cover you and stand with you. Paul goes on to design this armour for them. It says in verse 14, stand. Can you say that with me? Stand. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armour on your chest and your feet sandaled with the readiness of the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession, intercession for all the saints. So Paul designs for us what it looks like to be somebody decked out and what Jesus has called us into. Now, I'm not asking any single one of us right now to go out to the costume shop and purchase a Roman centurion costume. But the principle still stands up today. This belt of truth is this idea that the truth of God holds everything together. It's not my truth. It's not my version. It's not my opinion. It's not what's popular. It's what's real. That we choose as a people of God to live by God's truth. That we allow Him to set the parameters of what is the best life. Because He's a good Father and He loves us that our life is held together like a belt with truth. Righteousness, like a breastplate. It's interesting that righteousness means being right with God. Do you know that when you have a relationship with God, no matter how bad you feel about yourself, the way that He looks at you is as if you've never done anything wrong in your entire life. Do you know that God is not a heavenly headmaster? He's a heavenly Father. 
And I know for some of us, that's a loaded statement because we haven't had modelled for us what fatherhood truly looks like. Allow Him to model it for you. He loves you with a perfect love. He wants to provide for you with a perfect intention. And righteousness means that you are right with God when you are in relationship with God. And the breastplate covered the biggest part of the soldier. The, 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 the easiest target was the torso. My wife usually says to me, it's all fun and games till somebody loses a torso. And I imagine that's true for war as well. And so they would cover their torso with their breastplate. You are covered with righteousness. The things that you think are the biggest target on your back, the biggest target on your life, the things that cause you to believe you are not good enough, God not only covers that, He removes that. You are right with Him, in relationship with Him. Boots, shoes of the Gospel, the idea that wherever you tread your feet, you carry with you the peace of God. And peace of God does not mean compromise, does not mean trying to get consensus, does not mean trying to get two warring parties together and everybody compromise. The peace of God means everything as it should be. Everything as it should be. Do you know that when you walk into your workplace, when you walk into your family, when you walk into environments, that you have the opportunity to bring with you the peace of God simply because you're there. You are the ultimate cheat code for any scenario. That doesn't mean that you have to have the answers. I'm not telling you to try and make things up as you go and think that it's on you to fix everything. But do you know that your very presence in situations, just showing up, while you have a relationship with God, allows the peace of God to flow everything as it should be. It's powerful to show up and step in the boots of the Gospel. And we're sanctified and cleansed with the helmet of salvation. The idea here is that we often war in our minds, most of all. The lies we believe about ourselves, we believe about others, even the lies we believe about God. And that the more we journey with Jesus, the more He changes the very way that we think. He brings us into alignment with Him because His way is different but better. But ultimately, we're called to wage war. We're given two weapons. One is the sword of the Spirit. The idea of understanding the Word of God, the Bible, the Scriptures and how it relates to you and how you can build your life as you follow Jesus. But you know that the shield of faith is a weapon as well. That as we stand in step with one another and our faith crisscrosses across this place, across our connect groups, across our teams, across the things that we find ourselves in, that we actually advance together. We are called to take ground together. But I'm mindful, it takes more than just showing up. It takes more than standing. It takes more than being willing to put ourselves in position to move forward. It takes a bit of maintenance to be an army that advances. I think we also win with our words. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 to 32, it says this, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So bitterness is this idea of a bitter root that produces a bitter fruit. See, it's when unforgiveness moves beyond the problem and becomes something deeper in our heart. 
It's when disappointment delves deeper and changes the way that we respond to life. Wrath means indignation. It means a boiling anger. It means a lashing out. It means living life without any sense of ability to rein in the worst impulses. Anger is an agitation of the soul. There's no way that we can find peace when our soul is agitated. Clemmer means a crying out against. It means to drown others out with our own opinion. To clamour literally means to choose not to listen. Remember, if we're called to be an army and step with one another, surely we have to be able to listen to each other. That when we bring bitterness to our front lines, when we bring wrath, anger, clamour, that we actually begin to lose ground because we cannot be a united front. Goes on to say that slander, slander literally means speech that injures. It's when I choose to use my words to injure somebody, especially when they're not present. Malice means ill will, to have an intention of harm. That's how you lose with words, with words that are built up by that. But Ephesians 4.29 says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. You know, our words build up. The most helpful words actually give architecture and structure to the lives of people around us. Do you you realise that that your words have the ability to give architecture and structure to those that are around you? That your words actually help to bring things into formation. You know, this year uh, in summer, I had the joy and privilege of tagging along with my son, Liam, as he began his career as a cricketer. (laughs) See, previously, I'd only ever tagged along with cricket as a cricket player never as a cricket spectator. And I have to say, losing four hours of my Saturday morning (laughs) for three months in the year was a unique experience. (laughs) I loved it. I love being there. I love being present. I love being a part of it. But gosh, sometimes I just want to grab a cricket ball and run out there on the pitch and bowl a bouncer at a little kid. (laughs) But I didn't do that. But the thing is, my son's cricket team, all great kids, Won one game in the entire season. Uh, The funny thing is, when you're watching cricket play out in front of you at that sort of level, you can actually see that a loss actually begins the moment you start the game. It's crazy. Kids cricket is four hours long. It's a really sinking feeling to watch a loss play out over four hours. (laughs) But here's how I'd tell. I'd watch the kids as they get out there in the field And I'd listen for the words that they say to each other. And usually they'd start strong, good bowl, great fielding, well done. But if that started to drop by the second or the third or the fourth over, we were heading straight for a loss. Because the words that I would hear come out was, you missed. Run, go harder, you're not doing enough. Why did you drop that ball? You should have bowled it straighter. You're losing the game for us. And as these words would start to come out and I'd watch them play, 
they would begin to cause the team to sink to the level of the words. Now, I'll be honest, they weren't the most gifted team, but the games that they had that were competitive, a few, a handful of those kids just wouldn't stop encouraging. Well done, good bowl. Come on, don't give up. Come on, we can get back in it. And even if they lost, the game was competitive, was close. Sometimes coming down to the last over and parents lined up, cheering up and down, screaming obnoxiously. Because for four hours, they'd set up a win or the chance for a win, often by their words. Such an interesting game to watch that even when they're out there batting and walking between the wicket together, that they have a chance to say comments. And I'd be out there as an umpire and I'd hear the best players, the best players were not usually the most gifted players, but they were the ones that came and fist bumped and said, you missed it that time, but you'll hit it again. So just keep on blocking it. And the encouragement that would come out from some of those kids caused others to rise up to a higher standard. Do you know, I think as a church, we win with our words. With our words for one another, with the words for those around us, with our words in our families, with our words in our marriages, with our words to our children, with our words in every environment we're in. To stand in step, you have to win with your words. Your words give structure and architecture to the lives of others. Proverbs 18, 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. We're called to be people who stand in step. We're called to be people who win with our words. And ultimately, I think we're called to be people who go all in. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 to 17. The Apostle Paul writing to another church in a city called Philippi says this, Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation. Yeah, this was written around 2,000 years ago. When I read the Scriptures, I just see so much that's alive for now. So you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you, you, you shine like stars in the world. World's only dark because it's waiting for people to shine. Situations are only dark because God's invited people to step in and shine. And He's waiting, expecting us to step in. By holding firm to the Word of life, then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labour for nothing. Verse 17, But even if I am poured out as a drink offering, on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. I remember being a new follower of Jesus and I just read the New Testament, hardly understanding anything. When I got to that moment where it talks about Paul being poured out like a drink offering, it made no sense whatsoever. But seeing the culture that Paul comes out of, the Jewish culture is that people would regularly bring sacrifices, physical sacrifices to God. 
This is before Jesus was made manifest, before Jesus paid the ultimate price for sin. And so we do not need to provide any other sacrifice. He became the ultimate sacrifice for us. But previous to Jesus coming, people knew that there was a separation between them and God and that they would bring a sacrifice as a reminder to themselves and as a way to be right with God, that they were giving or willing to give of themselves so that they could be right with God. And so one of the things that they would give was a drink offering. They'd be incorporated with other offerings, but the drink offering was meant to be poured out where they would come with the best wine that they could afford, most expensive that they could have. There wasn't an expectation that it all had to be the same quality. It wasn't an expectation that everybody bought the same wine. It was just the best that they could bring. It's a principle for the Kingdom of God. God does not expect the same from us. He just expects us to be willing to give of ourselves. And so they would bring their wine. They would stand before the altar and it would be poured out. Sorry, carpet. And they'd pour it all out. And it was a sign to them and a reminder to them to hold nothing back. To be all in as they followed God for themselves. Paul said that he was willing to give himself to others like that. To pour himself out and hold nothing back. I'm convinced that one of the keys to taking ground together as a people of God, both individually and together as a church, is it takes people who are willing to go all in. I'm not asking people to be here in this building every single day and think that that's how it's done. No, no, no. No, it just means that when we're together, we're present. We're engaged. We value one another. We stand with one another. We believe in one another. We support one another. We do not allow distractions or fears or anxieties to pull us back from what God's called us into. We choose to go all in, even when it feels like we're being poured out. Because the truth is in the Kingdom of God, if we're willing to give of ourselves, God is willing to pour into us. And the crazy thing about the Kingdom is as you pour yourself out, your life as a drink offering before God, He actually adds more to you. And things that used to be difficult become easy. Things that you weren't able to do before, all of a sudden there's this strange thing that the Bible calls an anointing comes on you. The supernatural ability that you cannot explain, but it's because you're willing to pour yourself out. In Awaken City, we are called to take ground together. We're called to stand in step. We're called to win with our words. We're called to be all in. And I want to encourage you as we move forward, we are a living, moving structure. Much bigger than a building. We're a people. We take ground together. You know, I'm very mindful that all this is possible because of the example that our Lord and Saviour gave Himself, Jesus. I was thinking about what Jesus has done for us and His death on the cross. God Himself came down in human form, took on flesh, knew what it meant to be born, to be hungry, to learn to walk, to 
feel the sun, to be thirsty. Why? To stand in step with us, to stand in step with you and I. That you do not serve a God who is so distantly removed from you that He does not know you. The God in Jesus knows you intimately and personally. Scripture says that He was tested with every testing, but He did not, He was not overcome. That there's nothing that we could face in life that Jesus Himself could not stand in step with you in. That God Himself chooses to stand with you. Jesus said crazy statements in John chapter 15, where He said, you are my friends if you do what I command. Do you know that God Himself wants to call you a friend? That you can be a friend of God. It's amazing that He would choose to stand and step with us. Do you know that Jesus believes in you so passionately that His words give life itself. That every word that comes from Him is a word that can be stood on and moved forward in. I'm mindful that when He was hanging on the cross and crucified, as He's in pain, as He's been torn apart, that He chose to say with His words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus modelled what it means to win with words and not be held back. And ultimately, it says in the Scriptures that they didn't take His life from Him, He gave it Himself. It says clearly that He gave up His own Spirit. Jesus is all in for you so that you could live life free, whole and moving forward. If you have a relationship with Jesus already, I would encourage you not to take it for granted. The choice to follow Jesus is not a one-time thing. It's something that we reinforce with the way that we live. He is our daily bread. That I don't follow Jesus because I prayed a prayer on the 8th of March, the year 2000. I follow Jesus because I choose daily to follow Him. It's just that my journey began back then. And so if you already have a relationship with Jesus, choose it daily. Stand in step with Him. Choose to bring His words into situations and be all in. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope it has blessed you. If you would like to find out more about Awaken City Church, visit awakencity.com.au.